0: I didn't hear "Amen" with with that verse. That's gospel. I think I need a bigger platform. I, I print too much off. I need those glasses that will actually put it right there. You can swipe it. Sing with me. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Father, we pray for the Spirit of the Lord. We are empty vessels that want to be empowered to do your will, to share your message, to glorify your name. Father, you have said all authority has been given to you, and you want to pass it on to us. May we bring the joy of salvation to this world. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. This week, I was brokenhearted. Um, Actually, over the last year, I've been brokenhearted. The three friends that were closest to me at the school I graduated from for undergrad, which is down in Tennessee, I've seen those three in the last year. Well, year and a couple months. The first one was in ministry. He, used, he was maybe one of the godliest people I have ever met. He told me, after I'd been there a semester, my friend and I, the two of them, were praying behind my back and my roommate's back that we might have an encounter with Jesus. They were praying every night. They would meet every night to pray for us. I saw him, and he looked so unhappy. He, was, he had left the ministry several years ago. He was divorced. He was driving a beer truck. The highlight of his day was when they had extra, and they would give it to him. He would say, I'm still a Christian, but I could tell there was hurt and anger there. My other friend I saw in California just a couple weeks ago. It's hard because I know this world is small. I just, I'm I'm extra careful. Um, His wife, this was my old roommate, his wife now ex-wife, had left him for another female, actually. And he said, that's not the hard part. The hard part is we have a daughter and constantly his ex-wife is telling how bad daddy is. Brokenhearted. But this last week I sat for an hour talking to my, the other guy that was praying for us, who was, he was doing church plant ministry. I mean, he was sort of doing some revolutionary things. And without going too much into it, he lost his ministry, started drinking and other things he realizes that he messed up, lost his marriage. All three of them lost marriages, lost ministries, lost purpose. And he told me, this is what stood out near the end of our conversation. He said, about the the time that our divorce was finalized, which is about five months ago, he said, I felt lost by God. I knew in my head that his grace wasn't big enough for me. And it broke my heart. That he had come to the point where he said, God's grace is not great enough for me. How horrible of a situation when you've tasted the truth of God's grace I'm talking about. And feel that you've come to that point. We are going to dispel that idea that God's grace is not great enough. There is a man, and you know who he is, even though I was corrected several times by my daughter that when I would say Martin Luther, she would say King Jr. say, no, Martin Luther, King Jr. No, it's just Martin Luther this time. And Martin Luther, we are going to actually go backwards and come back forward. As he stood at Worms, he said this, he is quoted of saying this, and this quote, this here I stand quote, is believed to be the I had a dream speech of the Reformation. And he says this, Unless I am convinced by, my testimo- by the testimony of the Holy Scriptures, or by evident reason, for I can believe neither Pope nor councils alone, as it is clear that they have erred repeatedly and co- contradicted themselves, I consider myself convicted by the testimony of Holy Scripture, which is my basis. My conscience is, wor- is captive to the word of God. Thus I cannot and will not recant, because acting against one's conscience is neither safe nor sound. God help me. Amen. Amen. No matter what would befall him, I will not betray what scripture has told me. Now if you know Martin Luther, ironically, Martin Luther was a little bit more timid when he was younger, but his name is believed to come from, Martin comes from the the name Mars, which is the Roman god of war. And Luther which was believed to be changed from Luther. Luther means an army person. His name is, you're going to fight a battle. And you have no clue what this battle is going to be like, but you are going to fight, and you are going to be a person who is victorious in battle. And little did he know that he was coming to this point Because on June 15, 1520, which is near his time in Worms, or Worms, if you want to say, um, there is an edict, a papal bull, from Pope Leo X. And on June 15, 1520, it says this. Arise, O Lord! Now mind, this is from the Pope. Arise, O Lord, and judge your own cause. Remember your reproaches to those who have filled with foolishness, foolishness all the day. Listen to our prayers, for foxes have arisen seeking to destroy the vineyard, whose wine press you alone have trod. When you were about to ascend to your Father, you committed the care, rule and administration of the vineyard, an image of the triumphant church to Peter. As a head and your vicar and his successors, the wild boar from the forest seeks to destroy it, and every wild beast feeds upon it. Rise, Peter, and fulfill this pastoral office divinely entrusted to you, as mentioned above. Give heed to the cause of the Holy Roman Church, mother of all churches and teacher of the faith whom you by the order of God have consecrated by your blood against the Roman church you warned lying teachers are rising introducing ruinous sex and drawing upon themselves speedy doom their tongues are fire a restless evil a full, and full of deadly poison they have bitter zeal contention in their hearts and boast and lie against the truth we beseech you also Paul to arise it was you that enlightened and illuminated the church by your doctrine and by martyrdom like Peter's now Porphyry rises who now those a new Porphyry rises who as old Once wrongfully assailed the holy apostles, now assails the holy pontiffs, our predecessors. Right here is like when Ahab, when he sees Elijah, says, what are you doing here, O troubler of Israel? And Elijah's response is, I'm not the one who's troubled Israel. You have brought this upon our nation. But there was holy, and I'm, I'll use quotes, indignation from Pope Leo X against these people, meaning Martin Luther and his cohorts, for bringing disunity to the Holy Roman Church. Do you see Can you at least understand, because we've always, as Protestant Christians, and hopefully you do understand that if you are a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, you are a Protestant Christian. Do you see, at least, can you empathize with those who are hearing that? There are deceivers out there that are trying to bring disunity to our group, to our tribe, and it's not good. It's unhealthy. Does that happen in our churches now? And sometimes our holy edicts put forward claiming unity when really what they're asking for is uniformity. We must all be the same. We must all exactly believe the same. No matter what you find in scripture or those kinds of things, we have all, we've already studied that. Has the ref, Reformation ended? Did it end in the 16th century? Did it end in 1915, if you know what happened that year? No. No. In the spirit of Acts when your daughters and your sons and your old men and women are prophesying, dreaming dreams, seeing visions that did not end then, it will not end until he returns. There is time constantly for reformation, which was sparked by a few people in the Middle Ages. But let's start with Martin Luther's life. I'm not gonna talk about his birth. I'm not gonna talk too much about his family. And if you ever watch any of Martin Luther movies or if you read this book or some of the books about Martin Luther, this is the start. In 1505, and what I'm gonna ask you kids, everybody under 17, because I did not, my failings, I did not put specific notes there. If you can list three dates with the events on your notes, you get candy from Bill Merman. Three dates, meaning three years. I I don't have the specific dates. So the first date I would like you to put is 1505. In 1505, as Martin Luther, a young university student, is walking, as he's walking by the Saxon village of Stotternheim, now again, please forgive my pronunciation, of Stotternheim, he saw dark clouds come. And they came upon him with force that he could not escape. And he saw them come, and he saw the, 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 the rushing waters pour upon him, and lightning struck And depending on the testimony you read, lightning struck either him or very near him, threatening his life. And he says, Dear Saint Anne, if you save my life, help me, Saint Anne, if you save my life, I will become a monk. Have you ever done that before? Not become a monk. Lord, if you save me now, I promise I'll give my life to you. I'll dedicate it all to you. I'm sure plenty of people that are at bars on their, their porcelain, you know, their, their porcelain thrones are saying, Oh, if you just get me through this. And this is where he was. In a, in a point of desperation, St. Anne Help me, and I will become a monk. Now, this was not the path that his father had carved for him. His father said, you will be a lawyer because you are brilliant. And you are the only one that will go to the university, the University of Erfurt, and you will become the one who will save our family." Financially, our reputation, you will save our family. And he goes, from that point, he says, I will become a monk. And he goes to this Augustinian monastery, which is in the same town in Erfurt, or Erfurt, I don't know how you pronounce it. He goes to this monastery and he says, I want to become a monk. And they said, Do you really understand what you will have to give up? to become a monk, and he says, I know that I want to. Um, You cannot talk me out of it. When his dad found out, he was so enraged that he cut him off from the family. He says, I don't ever want to see you again. Please let's not contact each other. now before we continue about his journey i want you to know about the journey of the church at that time some of his contemporaries martin luther's contemporaries the tempera the temperature of the the theological temperature of that time was that there was no assurance of salvation actually if you ever thought that you had the assurance of salvation you were actually sinning under the sin of presumption. You presume that you're, you you think you have what you don't really have. Actually, fear was what led to obedience. Sacraments were what were holy. Luckily, our churches never experienced this stuff. We've never manipulated where, where we've made fear. You know, you will obey, or here's the end. We have never, we've never preached that you can't, ha- that, that you can, uh, you can't have assurance of salvation. I hope you hear my sarcasm. It is sad to say, because we have taken a stance against things like once saved, always saved. At times we have gone to the other side. And made it to the point that your salvation, that you can never be assured. Because if you make a mistake, whether you know it or not, it's taken from you. So, so we have this game that we play with God That you accept Jesus and now you have salvation and and He gives you eternal life. But you're driving and somebody cuts you off and you say something that's inappropriate and God says, Give me that back. Until you say, Lord, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. All right. But then, you look on the computer and you go to the wrong site. Give me that. Didn't you learn from the first time? And we play this game with God. And ironically, what scripture calls as joy and peace and, you know, this is, this is great peace is not peace to us anymore. Could you imagine playing this game? Could you imagine playing this game with your kids? I will just take this some of us do that not me my wife no but do you see what, do you see there is no peace and joy if we are constantly thinking that God is going to take away our eternal life at every misstep we're going to get to that So the rigors of monastic life, this was the temperature that Martin Luther went into monastic life with. There is no joy. There is no peace. Actually, it's said of Martin Luther that whatever was unpeaceful in his heart, I mean in their hearts, his was double. This guy suffered through extreme depression, extreme guilt, he constantly would rebuke himself he constantly thought there is nothing there is there's nothing that could could get me into the kingdom but to quiet his soul which most people think it's that lightning strike that brought him there but he wanted to quiet his soul please give me peace o oh lord so he joins and they say all right i am going to tell you what this entails You will renounce self-will. Will Will you renounce it? Yes, I will. Scout's honor. I don't know what. Scout's two or three. I guess this is the Pope's thing, huh? All right. Scout's honor. You will not eat much. You will fast all the time. I accept. You will wear rough clothing. I accept. Your flesh will die. I accept. You will be poor. I accept. You will beg for money to live. I accept. And you will be secluded from everybody you care about. I accept. And it was said of him that because of his unrest, that whenever they said, because they would wake you up, if you were a monk, They would wake you up at 2.30 in the morning and say, it's time to pray, time to pray. And they would go and pray, and they say, you need to pray for 30 minutes. He would pray for an hour. You will fast for two days. I will fast a week. It was said that the accounts are that he would always overdo it because he was trying to, to rinse his soul. So here we come to to 1510 and his first mass. So you might want to write that down. In 1510 A.D., he has his first mass, but it actually is postponed. He says, please, I have invited my father, and he has responded. He wants to come. Now, little do historians talk about this, but his father, it's believed that his father lost two other sons, and he believed that it was a rebuke because he had cut off Martin Luther, out of his life. He said, I don't want to lose another son. So he brings 20 of his companions with him at this postponed first mass, and he actually ends up donating quite a bit to the church because he feels so guilty, and, uh, and he wants to reconcile with his son. So he comes along, and they have this mass, and it says this in the first mass, because you think... A mass would be enjoyable. This is, I'm excited. But he said it was everything, the way the account is, it was everything but a celebration. Because as he stood there, it's, this is what he related later. He says, At these words, I, I was utterly stupefied and terror stricken. I thought to myself, With what tongue shall I address such majesty? seeing that all men ought to tremble in the presence of of even an earthly prince. Who am I that I should lift up my eyes or raise my hands to the divine majesty? The angels surround him. At his nod, the earth trembles. And shall I, a miserable little pygmy, say, I want this or I ask for that? For I am dust and ashes and full of sin, and I am speaking to the living, eternal true God. What a terrifying experience. Now I'm going to say something here. And I hope you catch me right. I do believe in respect and reverence. We come to the Lord knowing that he is God. But God does not want us to come to him terror-stricken, believing if we make one misstep, we're gone. Do you understand this? He wants us to come to us as we are all the time. It doesn't matter if you've made your millionth mistake. Because seven times does a righteous person fall, but he gets Back up. It is the wicked that stays down. His grace is sufficient. So after this first mass, his soul was not quieted. And instead, he said, I know what will quiet my soul. And he and a companion said, we will take a trip to Rome in 1510. We'll take a trip to Rome because this is the holy city. I know that God is there. I will leave it at that. I will go there because it is a holy place. And so he went there to Rome and he started seeing some things. He started, he started performing masses in every important place to quiet his soul, but he noticed that the morals were extremely lax. If we were to compare it to now, maybe what he would call it is, at least in the American context, a Las Vegas or, a, or a New Orleans, he, said, he actually said this, if there was ever a hell... Rome is built on it. The place that he thought was holy, he said, it's the foundation of hell is Rome. Or maybe the foundation of Rome is hell. And he said, they lack so much reverence that now believe, remember, back then they still believed in transubstantiation. Do you know what that is? I've I've talked about it a couple times that when you put, when the priest would put the bread into the mouth, it actually became the actual flesh of Jesus, and when, when they would put the juice, that it actually became the blood of Jesus. And he said he remembers where they would start doing this, would, uh, the priests would start doing this, but then they would be laughing. And they would say, in his words, You know, bread you were, bread you'll always be, you're nothing special. Wine you were, and wine you will always be. And they were mocking the process. And so his final, it seems that his final thing to do is he was going to, now there's debate over what exactly happened here, but he was going to, to climb this staircase of the St. Lateran, uh, you know, he, and some people think it's Pilate's staircase, uh, Newer historians, more recent historians say, no, it probably was not. But no matter what, he has this experience on this staircase. He says, is this it? Is this what religion is? Bloody knees, whipping myself until I feel good in my soul, good enough for God. Is this it? Well, if if you get to that point, it's not that he had no purpose. If he got to the point where even his institution of salvation, of religion, had no purpose, do you think his depression went down or up? Yeah. We'll, we'll say it went up, but his self-worth, everything just crashed. So he goes back, super depressed, and finally says somebody from... Uh, from Wittenberg says, we need you to teach. You are brilliant. We want you to teach philosophy. You've studied metaphysics and and rhetoric. We want you to, you know Latin. We want you to teach. He said, sure, I'll teach. But at this time, and I'm not going to talk about his teaching of philosophy. At this time, the most important thing that happens is he meets his confessor. Johann von Staupitz. That sounds pretty German, right? Johann von Staupitz. Yes. Nein. So he meets this guy. That's all the German words I remember. Nein. Um, So Staupitz was recorded saying there were times because he would confess. Remember, he he felt he was going to be lost. And in that time, he believed that if you don't confess, your sins are not forgiven. And so he would confess and he would ask God to help him to remember the sins that he had forgotten because if he didn't remember it and verbally say it, he would not be forgiven. He would actually start his confession, repeating the Ten Commandments and the Seven Deadly Sins, And he'd say, hopefully it jogs my memory of the sins I have forgotten. What turmoil. Staupitz at one point said, he confessed to me six hours straight. Trying to recount the sins. And finally, after pulling out his hair, and I'm saying that figuratively, because I don't know if Staupitz really did that. He pulls out his hair and he says, come to me when you have something real to confess. Commit adultery. Go murder somebody. Come to me then. This minutia is crazy. Ironically, I have seen this happen within our tribe. This belief system is here. That if you do not confess, and I'm going to define that for you, if you do not confess every sin, you will be lost. Now, I want us to go to 1 John 1.9. 1 John 1.9. You know all Germans talk like that, right? They're all angry. <laughs> I... I want dinner now, right, Pam? Okay. First John one nine. I am very, very. This is one of my favorite verses in Scripture, and I and I hope this. I want you to study this out. I don't want you to believe it because I say this. I want you to study this out. Now it says there, and this is what most of your texts will say: something like this. If we confess our sins, and he. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and pure us from all unrighteousness. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now this word confess, I believe, is the problem. Because confess, if I say fess up, if, if Patricia does something wrong, which happens very, very rarely, if Patricia does something wrong, and her mom at the time when she was a kid says, you need to confess. Uh, or if she feels the need to confess, does it imply that her mom knows what's ha- what actually happened or not? Okay, she might know something, but when we confess, the implication is you're giving added light to the situation. Now, does God know what you've done? Everything? Ugh. He knows everything you've done. Now this word in Greek, confess, in Greek is two words put together. The first word is homo, which you know from many words. Homo means same. The second part is logia, from logos, speech, word. All it's saying in Greek is if you say the same thing, the same word, if you say the same thing as somebody, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Who are we saying the same thing is? God. And what the same thing is is I've messed up, and I cannot save myself. You are not saying anything new, and God is not requiring you, oh, I really hope they remember the sins that they've forgotten. And they confess it each time, again, playing this game. By the way, you know we are not saved by confession, right? There should be an amen. Are you saved by confession? No. Amen. Nine, God does not play this game. Give me that. God gave up everything so you would be in the kingdom. Everything. He doesn't want to take it back. If there are people not in the kingdom, it is because they have pushed away God's grace. I don't trust you. I don't want you. It is God's desire that you be there. Now, we're not done here, because this is not complete, okay? This is my very—I love Greek. I'm really excited about it. I love Hebrew more. But if you go, not to the next verse, but the next verse after that, remember— so it's the next slide. Remember, these were not written with chapters and verses, right? Right? They didn't write, uh, okay, verse 1, I'm going to write this. No, this was a letter. There was a whole context. So remember, this is part of that context. And he says this, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Amen, right? I think that's wrong. Grammatically, I think that is not what John was saying. I am just going to swap two words. I'm not going to take a word out. I'm just going to put it in a different place, and I want you to listen to this. this. Write this down. This is exciting. At least it was to me. So remember, he just got the gospel. If you just acknowledge your sinfulness, I got it all. He is faithful and just, right? He is faithful and just. He is faithful and just. Not me. He is. That's all that matters is he is faithful. All I have to do is acknowledge And then he says, my dear children, I'm telling you that so that you don't sin. Does that make sense? I just gave you the greatest gospel message ever, that it's his faithfulness, and I'm telling you that, here's my purpose, so that you don't sin. That doesn't make sense. In Greek, things like the words not sometimes are put in different places, Let me read it to you a different way. Listen, because I didn't type it up there. My dear children, I am not writing you this so that you will sin. But if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father in Jesus Christ. Catch this. I just want you to know that if you acknowledge Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, that you cannot do it on your own. He is faithful to cleanse you of everything. And that's gospel. But I'm not writing this so that you have freedom to just sin whenever you want. It's still destructive. But guess what? If you do sin, you have an advocate. So you messed up. Remember, He is faithful and just. Who is faithful and just? He is. That's gospel. Just a a word moved around. I am not writing you. Instead of, I am writing this so that you don't sin. No, I am not writing this so that you feel free to sin. That fits the context. This is what Martin Luther was about to come to. But until that time, he would just confess and confess and confess and confess. And Staupitz was getting, he, it was driving him crazy. And finally, it comes to the point where he said, you're brilliant, but, but something has to change. You have to just learn how to love God. And he was so hard headed that he didn't quite understand that. He's like, How can I love him? I don't love him. I actually hate him. Martin Luther at one point says, I hate God, but I don't want to burn in hell forever. Well, he was so brilliant that eventually in 1515, they said, We want you to teach scripture, the word of God. This guy who at this point was at his lowest point and actually hated God accepted a position to teach scripture and so he said the easiest for me to start is in the book of psalms so he turns to psalm psalms and he starts teaching and then he gets to psalm 22 and the first verse says this my god my god why have you forsaken me why are you so far from me so far from the words of my groaning. And he said, These are Jesus' words. Jesus knows how I feel. And something started to click. Jesus felt abandoned. But he's Jesus. And so, a little bit after that, he said, I will start teaching New Testament. And he comes to this book, to the, Rome, to the Romans. And he comes to the verse of Romans chapter 1, and it says this, for, the, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. From the first person to the last person, it is by faith. Just as is written, the righteous shall live by works. No, by faith. And then he comes to the point where where Paul is talking about about Abraham. And in Romans 4, 3, it says this. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteous righteousness and Luther was reborn because of the book of Romans and it says that as if I had entered paradise for the first time in his life there was peace in his soul because he realized there was nothing he could do to earn salvation and not just there that there was nothing he could do that to earn him peace or healing or joy. All of this was the grace of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen? And he said this. He said, Jesus, now this is paraphrased, he said, Jesus took what he didn't deserve which is my sin, just so I would get what I don't deserve in his righteousness. God covers me. And he came to the point in his conclusion that God's righteousness was a free gift. Totally free. No buts. We need to get to that point. Because we do still say this. And as I talked to my friend, I could still tell, as he talked about things like the fourth commandment. So whether you personally believe this or not, there is still, it looms over us, that you are saved by grace, but... The fourth commandment determines somewhat if you will be in the kingdom or not. Or what you eat will determine if you are in the kingdom or not. Or if you believe in certain prophets will determine if you are in the kingdom or not. But Scripture says it is by grace through faith you are saved, not of works, because none of us can boast. You are saved by grace. Say that. I am saved by grace. I am saved by grace. Is there anything else? No. I am saved by grace. There is nothing in yourself that can pull yourself out of quicksand. I am saved by grace. So we come to this last point. Of, of where he's about to nail these theses, and, and in 1517, there was a guy, Johann Tetzel, who comes to town. Now, he's not actually allowed in, in Wittenberg, because they know what he's doing, but he's, he goes there under the command of Pope Leo X. Now, Pope Leo X lives an extravagant life. You, you Remember the, the, the monastery says you're going to be poor and you're going to beg for money and you, you're just going to have poverty all around you, what you eat, where. Well, that didn't go for the popes nor the cardinals. So he was living the high life, and, and the pope before him, Julius, left a full treasury there. You, you are set, Leo. In eight short years, he was bankrupt. The church was bankrupt. And he, before this happened, he had decided we need to remodel St. Peter's Basilica. We're going to rebuild it. As it said, we are rebuilding it, but they couldn't complete it. So Tetzel was sent to sell these things called indulgences. Now an indulgence was if If you've sinned I can if you if you donate to the church especially to the basilica which you know you know this is God's movement we can write a remission of sin for you and this is yours it's yours to keep so it's sort of a get out of jail card there you go and so he would So he started writing this, and he would carry this cross. Do we not have a cross? I thought we had a cross in here. He would carry this cross with him, and he would actually claim that the cross that he would carry was even of more value than Jesus Christ's cross. Blasphemous. And he actually even was rumored of saying that he could write an indulgence for those who... Did bad things, like if a man would do a bad thing to even marry the mother of Jesus. He could write an indulgence to absolve that. You know, there's a story, now who knows if it's true or not. There's a story of Tetzel that, where he's in this one town and this nobleman comes to him and says, I would like an indulgence, I will give a lot of money. So he gives this money and so he writes this indulgence for a future sin and as he leaves the town in the wooded area, this nobleman comes upon him, beats him up, and steals all of his money and says, Here's my indulgence. And at first, the king says he was furious that this happened because he knew it would bring heat from the Roman Catholic Church. But then later on, he's like, That's a little bit funny. Who knows if it's true? But what it was saying is these reports that this is what it had come to. And Martin Luther had it up to here. Not here. He had it up to here. I believe in the people of God. I believe in the Holy Writ. But you have made God's kingdom a mockery. You have sold your souls to the enemy by selling indulgences to people. Salvation does not come by money. Salvation does not come by my acts. It comes because Jesus loves me. This I know. And so on October 31st, as it's traditionally said, of 1517, he took 95, Now I have them printed out, Theses, and nails them to the door of the castle church. And I would encourage you at some time to read through these. Now granted, you'd think that they were super revolutionary, but 1517 he was just starting his growth. And so most of them are against indulgences. But I want to read just a couple to you. Like number 45 says this, Christians are to be taught that he who sees a needy man and passes him by, yet gives his money for indulgences, does not buy papal indulgences, but but God's wrath. He would say it is vain to trust in salvation by indulgences or their letters even though the indulgence commissary or even the Pope were to offer his soul as security. They are the enemies of Christ and the Pope who forbid altogether the preaching of the word of God in some churches in order that indulgences may be preached in others. Injury is done to the word of God when in the same sermon an equal or larger amount of time is devoted to indulgences than the word of God. So, as he goes to Worms, tradition teaches, and the music was not there yet, but a song was sung, a poem was recounted by 2,000 attendants along with him. Almighty fortress is our God. No longer are we to believe. That our fortress is our works. That is not my stronghold. That is not my bulwark. Nor is the church. My faith, my life, is built on the grace of Jesus Christ alone. May the reformation continue until he returns. And as... God told Moses to tell Aaron to say over the people of Israel. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you and give you peace. Father... May the Reformation continue. Put within our hearts the Spirit of the Lord that sets a fire to this local congregation and to the global church. Father, may people know that we are different because we believe that it is your grace that will bring healing and peace, and joy. And it is only by your grace. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Happy Sabbath, everybody.